Thank you, Craig. And I can't tell you enough just how much I so enjoy being back with you in person, worshiping with you in person. God is with us in our homes. God is with us in our lounges. Or I know some of you even signed in while driving to or from holiday. And that's amazing. Welcome to the streaming, guys. But man, oh man, it's just incredible to be worshiping God like this. And I know that for many of you, it's a major adjustment to put clothes on to come to church. Because for so long, you've been in your jammies and you've been able to drink your tea or your coffee while doing church. And that's amazing. Honest truth, we did that as well, all right? Um, And uh, we're still in many ways kind of on-ramping back into church in person. And so for many people in their minds, we're kind of only going back to church. And the only difference is the in-person side of it. We have still been the church. Over the course of the last 18 months, we've been able to feed back to you some of the many ways that God has still been active in and through the church that hasn't been a Sunday morning. And so while some of you, maybe that's been a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and so now we're coming back to church. I know many of the ministries weren't really active during the online season, but one of them in particular was, and that is kids' ministry. For those of you who have kids, I know that you know just how amazing our team, amazingly hard our team has been working in order to give us an incredible kids ministry, punching far above their weight. For those of you who haven't, please just go and do yourself a favor and see what our kids have been doing and what our leaders have been doing. But point being, while most of you have been taking a break from ministry, some of our teams have been working exceptionally hard. And now that we're back in person, Guys, we don't see kids' ministry as a babysitting service on Sunday. We see it as an essential part of our discipleship mechanism as a church. And I'm just inviting you to step up. I'm inviting you to say whether you've been involved in kids' ministry or not, there are a number of levels that you can be involved. You can be kind of an apprentice or someone that's presence just matters and they do a number of simple things and and it really is so important. Or you can commit to a full-time capacity or you can check it out for a couple of weeks. But we need you to step up here. So if you want to be involved in kids' ministry, there is going to be a sign-up form on the app. Otherwise, come speak to me, find Jody, or speak to the help desk after the service. And if God is putting His finger on your heart, I encourage you to respond to that. All right, we've just come out of an incredible series called Glad You Asked, where we've been dealing with all of your tough questions. And yes, there are moments where I really felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. I was going to get someone annoyed with me, all right? I know there were many times where it was a hard thing to say, a hard thing to ask, a hard thing to preach. But for the most part, the questions that were coming in were very kind of intellectual. They were your intellectual questions. They were your theological questions, your tough biblical questions. But here's what I know has been true about you. Yes, it's been great to talk about predestination. What happens to people who don't hear the gospel? Let's talk about Satan. Let's talk about all these tough things. But then you go home on a Sunday after church to your husband, to your wife. You wake up on a Monday morning to your kids, to your problems, to your boss. And maybe a debate around election isn't helpful to you at work on a Monday morning. And so we're transitioning into a series 
on the book of Proverbs, where we're going to try and deep dive the book of Proverbs for some very practical wisdom for your Mondays and your Tuesdays and your weekends, for all aspects of life. And so we're going to spend seven weeks there. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover seven different topics that come out of the book of Proverbs and hopefully allow us to learn some wisdom in that. But not only do we want to cover seven topics, we want to model for you what it means to come to God's Word looking for wisdom. We want to, in a sense, teach you and disciple you. So not only do you grow in these seven areas, because you don't only have seven weeks of challenging weeks ahead of you. You've got hundreds of weeks ahead of you. Some of you have thousands of weeks ahead of you. And so we want to help you grow in wisdom, not only for this next seven weeks, but for those thousands of weeks that lie ahead of us. So if you have your Bibles here, please open with me to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to start right from the beginning. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Let's read together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for, for what? For attaining wisdom and discipline, and for understanding words of insight. So let's start off with this word or this person that is identified here in verse 1, and that is Solomon. If you've been in church for any period of time, you probably know the story well, how Solomon, the son of David, became king. The north and the southern kingdoms were still united. God is pleased with Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3 and comes to him and says, Solomon, you can ask me for anything that you please and I will give it to you. Now, I know every single one of us in this room has fantasized about what it would look like for God to come to you and ask you that question. Solomon could have asked for power. He could have asked for riches. And instead, he just had a bit of a reality check and he realized, wow, I've got some pretty, pretty big shoes to fill. And I don't know if I'm equipped for this job. So God, if I can get anything from you, please would you give me a wise heart? Please would you give me a discerning heart? So the Lord says, you could have asked for anything, but you asked for wisdom. So I'll tell you what, I'm gonna give you wisdom and the other things that you could have asked for, for power and for riches. So 1 Kings chapter four tells us the story of this king that ruled with such incredible wisdom and power and authority. And he wrote all of these songs and he wrote over 3,000 proverbs, many of which made its way into this book known as the book of Proverbs so that you and I too can grow in wisdom. Not all the Proverbs are from Solomon. If you look at chapter 30 and 31, we've got some other names there. But for the most part, this book is attributed to King Solomon. So what is the book of Proverbs? Or maybe a better question is, what is a proverb? Well, the book of Proverbs is in the category, in the biblical category of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature alongside two other books, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. So it's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Some people argue for Song of Songs, but for the most part, let's just focus on those three books. Those are the wisdom literature in the Bible. And one of the challenges in approaching the book of Proverbs is how do we read it? Most of you come across the book of Proverbs on WhatsApp. 
or social media. There's a nice little picture of a mountain or a sunset with a proverb on it. So what do I do with that proverb? How do I read it? Or if I start at verse 1, how do I go through it? And what kind of approach ought I to have? So what is a proverb? A proverb is a short, clever saying that is designed to impart practical wisdom. Let me give you an example of a modern proverb. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So yes, that sounds clever, but how does that give me practical wisdom? Well, husband or wife needs to go on a business trip. Newly married. Babe, I really, I'm going to miss you so much. And so he responds by saying, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's what I say on my fishing trips, right? And so that little bit of wisdom is designed to, to get your spouse to say, okay, you know what? Yes, I'm going to miss you like mad. But when you come back, I'll love you even more. All right? There's a practical wisdom that comes out of this. But Proverbs, whether they're modern Proverbs, but including even biblical Proverbs, are Proverbs not promises. They are proverbs, not guarantees. They're not these mantras that if you quote them enough times, you get to bend God's will to you because you named them and you claimed them. So how do we know this? Well, first of all, proverbs deal with what is generally true. Under normal circumstances, the way God has set up His world and the way God has set up his wisdom, if you do X in normal circumstances, you can expect Y. These are what is ordinarily true, but they're not a promise. Let me give you two examples, two famous examples. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. What this is saying is, on average, if you learn God's wisdom and learn to live in God's world and God's ways, and if you apply God's wisdom from a Monday through to a Sunday in all aspects of life, in the so-called secular and the so-called sacred spaces, on average, you're going to live a great, long and fruitful life. But if you choose to stick your finger in God's eye, and if you choose to deny his wisdom and choose your wisdom every single day, on average, you're going to be facing some very dire consequences. And that is on average how things work. But we all know of stories where someone who has lived a righteous life has died far too young. And is that because they didn't name it and claim it? Is that because they never quoted this verse enough times? Righteous believers in persecuted countries? No, of course not. That's the exception. And on the other hand, we all know of unrighteous people who die happy and have lived long, happy lives. Here's another proverb that we all know well, especially parents. Proverbs 22, verses 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And once again, on average, if you live your life and your parenting life and your marriage life according to God's wisdom, and you demonstrate that, your children hear about it, and they see it, 
and you're depositing seeds of faith in them and you're intentionally nurturing faith in them, on average, despite maybe a couple of wobblies, on average, your children will return to your God. And yet some of you are saying, well, my kid's still on that prodigal son journey. And I don't know what's going to happen to them. So that is the ordinary circumstances of life. One of the other ways that we know that, that, uh, that Proverbs are Proverbs and not promises is where sometimes we see some apparent contradictions. Now let's go to the modern proverb we looked at earlier. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Here's another one. Out of sight, out of mind. And some of you are like, that's the life verse for our marriage. <laughs> right? So which is it? My husband goes on a business trip. Is it absence makes the heart grow fonder or out of sight, out of mind? No pointing or jabbing elbows. Well, I suppose a lot depends on your marriage, your hearts, your circumstances. And in Proverbs, we see similar apparent contradictions. Sometimes in the very next verses, Proverbs 26 verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. The very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Well, sometimes it is wise when engaging with someone who is foolish to keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, you're going to start slinging mud and you're going to get mud on you too. But sometimes it is wise to speak. It is wise to get involved. And maybe you can help the fool see the folly of their ways. So which is it? Well, this is why this is called wisdom literature. There's no promises here, but it gives us wisdom. And so you need to know how and when to apply the wisdom of God in all of life's tricky situations. Now, earlier I mentioned that on average, Proverbs is dealing with what is normally true, even as God has set up this universe according to His wisdom and His ways. But is life always going according to plan? Can we count on stable circumstances? No, life is messy. And almost all the time we are encountering thousands of exceptions to the rule. Now, recently we went camping and we were very close to the beach. So we set up and it was a very sandy sort of spot, but we set up our tent and our gazebo according to the instructions. This is according to the rule. And in normal weather, it worked perfectly for us. One day we were driving home from the coast or driving to our campsite and we drove through what was probably the heaviest rain I've ever seen in my life and some hail. This is the exception to the rule. Now, here's what I was ex expecting. I was expecting to get to our tent and to have it look like someone had taken a shotgun to it. Right? Now, would it have been okay for me to say, look, our tent is in this rain, our tent is in this hail. Let's go back to the instructions and set it up again according to the instructions. No, wisdom says you find a rock, you find a tree, you find some extra rope, you pull some towels out and you make a plan. Now, in God's grace, that hailstorm passed our campsite, but we still had to deal with the hectic rain. 
But if Proverbs deals with what is ordinarily true, we also have the other two books of wisdom literature, which deals with the exceptions. So we've got the book of Job, which is quite a lengthy book, which deals with the question, what happens when someone is living according to the book of Proverbs? What happens when you've got someone who does love God? who is applying God's wisdom in all aspects of life and is living this fruitful life and then everything goes wrong. And so the book of Job helps you explore that question. And then the book of Ecclesiastes helps you explore this question where you read the book of Proverbs and you kind of try and understand them as promises. If you do this, then God is going to help you prosper and enjoy a flourishing life. But you look around you to your left and to your right and you're like, I don't see that. I see righteous people struggling. I see unrighteous people flourishing. And the book of Ecclesiastes helps you work through that exception to the rule. And so if you want to grow in wisdom, we need to grow in wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And we also need to explore some of the complexities of life. And the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help you do that. But for now, we're going to be learning to grow in wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And earlier I read that these are Proverbs from King Solomon. And they are there to help you, verse 2, grow in attaining wisdom. So what is biblical wisdom? Well, for most of us, the way we use the word wisdom, you could almost use it synonymously with being intellectually clever. Whereas wisdom, and especially biblical wisdom, yes, there is an intellectual side to it, but it's got a lot more to do with how you live your life, how you make decisions on everything. Not only while in church on a Sunday morning, the so-called sacred space, but in all things, in your finances, in your marriage, in your friendships. How you choose, what you do, how your faith works itself out through your life. In fact, the, the biblical word for wisdom is, as with all good Hebrew words, is good for clearing your throat. It's the word chokhmah. Chokhmah. And sometimes it's actually translated as skill. Not just skill in a general sense, but almost like a spirit-empowered skill. Some of you know the story in Exodus chapter 31, building the tabernacle. And God chooses two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab, and he says, I have gifted them with skill. But the word for that is, I have gifted them with chokhmah with wisdom. Now these were craftsmen for the temple that God gifted them with ability and skill and creativity. And the word that he calls that is chokhmah. And so wisdom is coming under God's wisdom, coming under God's word, God's truth, God's ways, God's spirit, God's power, God's empowerment in what I actually tangibly do, not just simply what I know. But the general biblical idea of wisdom is that this doesn't come or just happen naturally. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? 
or there is more hope for a fool than for him. What this proverb is trying to get you to understand is there are going to be many times in your life where you seem wise in your own eyes. And when you're there, the proverb is saying, well, now you're in a hopeless situation. Let me give you a kind of silly, not silly example. Beginning of July came along, uh, Levi, one of our sons, he came to us, he had a sore throat, a bit of a tight chest. And so Bianca starts saying, well, what if he's got COVID? This was in the middle of that third wave. And I'm like, I think it's wise not to freak out. I think it's wise, let's just medicate him with Panada, whatever the case might be, and let's see how this pans out, right? That's what I thought was wise. Bianca convinced me to take him to the, uh, for her to take him to the doctor. He got tested while she was there. She too got tested. They both came back positive. For those of you who know, Bianca went through a really tough time with her COVID. So we're so grateful to have caught it so early. But in my wisdom, not freaking out seemed right in my own eyes. And there are going to be many decisions that you and I make every single day where we are going to feel like I'm right. I am wise in my own eyes. Whereas biblical wisdom is true wisdom belongs to God. And so if I want to grow in wisdom, as Andy Stanley says, don't always trust what you think. In fact, I need to be very cynical with what I think and with what I think is wise in my own eyes. So if I want to access God's wisdom, I need to be a student of His ways and His wisdom. Here's another way that wisdom is described in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3 verses 18 says, She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. She, this is another metaphor we'll come to now. This is wisdom. She is a tree of life. Now, for those of you who know your Bibles, where does that concept of the tree of life come from? It comes from the book of Genesis, right? Where God's giving life was there to be taken. But at the same time, Adam and Eve faced a very real temptation that you and I face every single day. They were being faced with the temptation of, am I going to trust God's ways and God's wisdom, God's definition of right and wrong, God's definition of the life of flourishing? And even if I don't understand it, am I going to go with Him on this? Or am I going to redefine right and wrong according to what is right in my own eyes? Am I going to choose for myself what the flourishing life looks like? And Adam and Eve chose the latter, and that, the Bible tells us, put them immediately onto the path of death. Now, you and I, when we make hundreds of decisions every single day, are standing in exactly the same position. And the tree of life is trusting God's wisdom, even when I don't fully understand it. And by the way, what that is going to mean is, number one, you have to be a continual, humble learner. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 55 years, you are not there yet. In fact, God's word says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are above your ways. The stars are millions of light years away. 
And we kind of go, yeah, God's wisdom is slightly wiser than my wisdom. If we are to grow in wisdom, we need to recognize I've got blind spots. I've got biases. There are things that I wish the Bible didn't say and there are other things that I wish the Bible did say. There are gonna be things that I become advocates on where five years ago I believed something completely different and the, in the final analysis, it was a cultural shift as opposed to a biblical shift that led me there. But I'm gonna be blind to that. And so I need to continually lay myself down and my opinions I need to treat so lightly and be willing to reframe every single one of them in the light of God's wisdom and God's ways. Apologies for the food metaphor, but uh, many of us kind of treat God's wisdom like aromat. And what I mean by that is we use aromat to cover up a bad cooking. Maybe it's not aromat, you've got your favorite spice, you've got your favorite hot sauce, but you're like, ah, oh, the chicken's okay. What it really needs is some more aromat. In other words, I'm doing life my way. Oh, ran into a bit of a problem. God, won't you score me a bit of wisdom? When maybe a better metaphor for seeking wisdom is becoming an apprentice to Gordon Ramsay. Now, if you know anything about Gordon Ramsay, I'm not going to quote him this morning. The last thing I'm going to do is walk into the kitchen and pretend like I know anything about cooking. The worst thing to say is, yeah, but my mom said, yeah, but I thought, yeah, but that YouTube guy said, I'm going to be like, apprentice me, sir, and allow me to grow in wisdom. And so my big appeal for you this morning, before we get into some of the practical topics we're going to cover in the next six weeks, is to pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Apprentice yourself to pursuing wisdom above all things. But this is easier said than done. Proverbs, the opening chapters of Proverbs introduce us to to two characters, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Let me quote from Proverbs chapter 9. The words won't be on the screen behind me, but you can find them or you can listen to them here. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set out her table. She has set out her maids, and she calls from the highest points of the city, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live, you will walk in the way of understanding. In other words, if you need wisdom, lady wisdom is out there calling for you. And the idea is you get to look in and go, that's what the wise life looks like. Her house is in order. She is flourishing. I can actually see the fruits and the benefits of wisdom in her life. And so she's calling us. There's a voice calling us to wisdom. And then we get Lady Folly. In verse 13, the woman Folly is loud. And she's undisciplined and without knowledge. And she sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest points of the city, 
calling to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, and she is calling to the very same you. Let all who are simple come in here, she says, to those who lack judgments. So maybe when you hear those words, you're like, well, obvious, duh, I'm going to go to Lady Wisdom. Why would I want to be interrupted by this loud, undisciplined woman and go into her home? Well, here's what we don't see in chapter 9, but in chapter 7, we see that Lady Folly dresses and goes around like a prostitute. So the idea is you wake up in the morning and you want to seek wisdom and you want to seek God's ways and you want to do God, life God's ways. It's you, you're walking to Lady Wisdom's house and the next minute you're like, woo, she's nice. Reminds me of one of those memes, the meme of that guy walking with his girlfriend and another girl walks past and he's like, woo, and he's in trouble. Now that's you and me with Lady Wisdom. Chapter 7 says that Lady Folly walks up to us and kisses us on the mouth and takes us into her home. In other words, no one wakes up in the morning and plans to ruin their marriage. No one wakes up in the morning and plans to make a whole series of poor decisions. But what happens is I am choosing wisdom and then I see Lady Folly. She looks nice. Yes, ladies, wisdom's home is in order. And I can see the fruit of wisdom, but Lady Folly. And then I look at Lady Folly and she looks at me. She comes a little closer and I go in her home. This is why at the end of Proverbs 9, it says, stolen water, with regards to the home of Lady Folly, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there. And that her guests are in the depth of the grave. I want to encourage you to pursue wisdom. To wake up every single morning choosing wisdom. But also being alert enough to know that there is lady folly and she is something to deal with. And her voice at times is going to be louder than the voice of God. And her voice at times is going to be louder than the voice of Lady Wisdom. And at times, she's going to seem more attractive than the wisdom of Lady Wisdom and God's ways and His wisdom. And you need to know that every single time you wake up so that you are prepared to ignore her and go the way of God's ways. Pursue wisdom. Number two, I want to encourage you to pray. For wisdom, to truly pray for wisdom, let's turn to the New Testament for this point here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17, Paul says this, praying for his church, I keep asking. In other words, I keep praying. In other words, I am persisting in this. Every single day, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirits of wisdom and revelation. Very similar prayer in Colossians 1 verses 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. In other words, this isn't a once-off prayer at the end of today's sermon. This is a prayer you pray every single day for the rest of your life. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. In other words, true wisdom is something that only God can give. And we receive it through prayer. Does that mean I don't study God's word? I don't go to the book of Proverbs? No, of course we do. But there's always a word that goes with the word wisdom in these prayers. You can go and look at the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. It's always wisdom and, and revelation or, or wisdom and insights or wisdom and discernments. Paul prays, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. In other words, God's got to empower you to see and live out his wisdom. This is not something that can simply be attained by studying, but has to be received through prayer. And finally, number three, I want to encourage you to pursue the wise one. Oh man, I wish I remembered that verse that Dalziel read at the beginning of today's service because it gels perfectly with Proverbs chapter 8. Now, we don't have time to get into all of this, but if you go read Proverbs chapter 8, you will see that wisdom, just like earlier, it was personified as a tree of life. At other times, it was personified as the wise woman. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified as this being, this mysterious being that is present with God at creation and through whom God creates all things. And even before Christ came along, theologians were wondering, is there anything to this, this mysterious person called wisdom? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2, the coming Messiah is described as one who will be filled with the spirits of wisdom and understanding. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 24, that not only did Jesus have God's wisdom, but Jesus is the wisdom of God. For those of us who are Christians here this morning, what this means is when we are pursuing Wisdom for life, whether it be marriage, friendships, finances, whatever is covered by God's word, we cannot truly attain wisdom apart from Christ because Jesus is the visible wisdom of God. And it is through Jesus that we can attain the wisdom of God. And it is through Jesus that we have access to the wisdom of God. And much later, as much as Jesus had the full spirit of wisdom and understanding, then Paul prays, may you have that spirit of wisdom and understanding. But it is given and received through Christ. So our pursuit of Christ is no different to our pursuit of wisdom. When it comes to Jesus' first and probably greatest sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends off the sermon, which is basically a description of his kingdom, with three pretty dire warnings. Jesus wasn't looking for a big round of applause at the end of his sermon. He was wanting people to come face to face with what it meant to truly follow him. And in one of these stories and one of these ways that he ends off the sermon, a story that you probably know quite well, Jesus dives into this very common theme of the wise one versus the foolish one. Listen how he defines wisdom. Matthew 7 verses 24. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. By the way, storms come even to Christians. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It's Lady Wisdom, the wise one. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with the great crash. At what point is the foundation of your wisdom ultimately tested? When the storms of life come and your foundations are exposed for what they are. This is where you can see, have I been building a life of wisdom or have I been treating God's wisdom like Aramat? But according to these verses, who is the wise man? Is it the one who can speak ad infinitum about theology? Is it the one who can quote verses, chapter and verse? Yes, that's part of it. He who hears my words. So there is a reading, there is a meditation, there is a hearing. But the ultimate difference is not only the one who hears them because the foolish man hears the words of God too. The difference is, those who put my words into practice. Being in church doesn't make you a wise one. Putting God's words into practice is what makes you a wise one because that is the definition of wisdom. The Greek word for that phrase, putting into practice, is the Greek word poeo. Poeo in the Sermon on the Mount comes up 22 times. And in these final conclusions, comes up 10 times. But we don't see it because it's translated differently in a number of different times. Check out verse 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In Greek, likewise, every good tree poeos good fruits, but a bad fruit Poeos, sorry, bad tree, poeos, bad fruit. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who poeos the will of my Father. Only the one who actually does the will of my Father. That is the wise one. That is the one who listens to the voice of Lady Wisdom. Francis Chan talks about this funny illustration. It's like a parent saying to his child, please want you go up and clean your room? Yes, dad. Three hours later, comes down the stairs. Have you cleaned your room yet? No. Well, what have you been doing? Oh, we've been studying the phrase, please can you go clean your room? We looked it up in Greek. We looked it up in Hebrew. Oh, we prayed about it. We fasted. Okay, but have you cleaned your room? Sometimes we can so spiritualize the things that we hear and Jesus is saying, okay, but did you do it? Because that is where the wisdom of God lies. And so I want to invite us 
to pray together. And in a second, I want to invite us to stand if you truly want to commit yourself to being a pursuer of wisdom. But before you stand, I want to remind you of what I'm going to invite you to stand for. Not just simply, Stephen, that sounds like a great idea. Yes, Lord, some more wisdom in my life will be great. Amen, job done, go back to life. Now, if you're going to stand, you're going to be praying and committing yourself to God to become one who pursues wisdom, which means, yes, hearing the words of God and putting them into practice. It means being one who recognizes you have biases. You have blind spots. You have parts of the word you don't like and you've been ignoring. You have parts of the word that you know what it means, but you haven't yet had the courage to put it into practice. This means looking at all areas of your life, not just being a Christian on Sunday, but your marriage and your finances and your relationships, your choices, how you live life, and committing to growing wisdom in all of those areas. It also means pursuing Christ. Pursuing Christ. And through whom availing yourself to the wisdom of God. And in doing that, coming under God's power, God's spirit, God's provision, and living out God's wisdom, and in doing that, seeing God's kingdom come. That is what I'm going to invite you to stand for. And I'd, I'd rather warn you up front as opposed to leave you to believe that by standing in church is somehow going magically going to make you wiser. In fact, this week, I want to encourage every single one of you to memorize and find these two verses that I read earlier. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Write it down on your phone, on a piece of paper, or go find out when this is on YouTube later. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, and Colossians 1, verses 9. And you're going to wake up every single morning and you're going to pray those verses. As far as possible, you're going to memorize those verses. And as much as there's already so much that constitutes what being a Christian is about, I want this to become one of the primary definitions of what your walk of faith looks like. That you pray for wisdom and seek God's face, God's word, and that he does something in you so that his power can come through you. So if that is what you want, as I start praying, I want to invite you to stand. Father, we are hearing the voice of Lady Wisdom. We are hearing the voice of God who through His wisdom designed, designed this world. And so we've got God's world that we want to live in God's ways. And Father, right now I pray that the voice of Lady Wisdom is louder and the voice of Lady Folly. And I want you to take a moment to just recognize how regularly you choose Lady Folly. And if you're wondering for demons coming into your life every single day, it's just when you seem wise in your own eyes. And you choose against the wisdom of God.
It's not always going to be a big catastrophic sin. It's just simply your definition of life versus God's. And I can promise you this, I do that every single day of my life. So here's an invitation to repent of that, to recognize that. God, would you attune our hearts to Lady Wisdom? Would we recognize that the life you're calling us to is not just about being a Christian, but being a human in God's world according to God's ways? Lord, I know that we can look at the Proverbs and we can say, but I've seen righteous people fail and I've seen unrighteous people succeed. Your word speaks into that. But you're still calling us to wisdom. So Father, today we choose to trust you. And I pray too that Jesus, you would lead us into what that looks like. that we hear your word and we put it into practice. Father, we commit ourselves to you not only for this day, but for this week. As we pray these prayers, Holy Spirit, may we sense in a very tangible way the wisdom of God with us. Alert us to the voice of Lady Folly. But Lord, also when we come to church next week, And when we start talking about these other practical areas of life, we are choosing you, God, your wisdom and your ways. So Holy Spirit, be with us for this, not just for this moment, but for the weeks and the months and the years of our life to come. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.